This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. To left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss, he struck him out. Down the line, and that's the ball game. Hello and welcome to another episode of Brewers Unfiltered. We're on episode 20. Woo. I'm Brad Ford, social media manager for the Milwaukee Brewers. I'm joined by baseball genius Adam McAlvey yes. and a guy who told me he's being forced to trim his beard in the offseason, Tim Dillard. I told you that in confidence. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> we'll explore this at the ballpark later. <laughs> yes. Uh, he, I got panicked, and then he told me, it's just like, no, man, you got to keep it clean every now and then. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, that makes complete sense. I thought sense. you were signing with the Yankees. No, no, it, it needs a rebuff. I need to cut it down so it can grow back stronger. It's like it's like the bushes out in front of the house. <laughs> right. I right. got your spot, Tim. I have your barbershop to do it at. We can make it a public event. Ooh. I don't know I've I already want... pitched to you, stag barbershop. I don't know what's under there. <laughs> I don't want people around going, I can't believe... <laughs> Was that a bird? It's a whole flock of seagulls. All right. Well, there's a lot to talk about this week, but most importantly, we're starting with a very important interview because right now the farm system is drawing a ton of interest from having the number two prospect on Baseball America's top 100 list to a wealth of prospects that just arrived at AAA. So we brought in the expert on the Brewers farm system, Tom Flanagan, and we spoke to him a little bit about Really, what's happening in the farm and what fans should be excited about down in the minor leagues? All right, we're joined by the pride of New Berlin Eisenhower coming to us live from American Family Field, Tom Flanagan. Tom, how are you doing today? Thanks for joining us. Doing great, Brad. Appreciate you guys having me having me on here. Yeah, yeah, we really appreciate you coming. Um, I begged Ezra to get you on, and it's because I personally have a problem, and it's that I can't stop talking about Baseball America's number two prospect, who happens to be the Brewers' top prospect on a lot of farm system rankings. Just can we talk about what Brewers fans should know about Jackson Churio as he just cruises through the minor league system? Yeah, he's a he's a good one to start out with. He's a guy that's obviously the, the prospect world has kind of been taken over by Jackson here over the last few months and he's a guy that initially our scouts you know put on our radar as a guy certainly to watch and and they were extremely excited about so we had a chance to see him a little bit in, in spring training this year in the states and you know prior to that heard rave reviews from our PD staff about him but what he's done it's it's really been incredible I think um, the numbers that he's put up the way he's kind of handled his business you know, he's taken care of everything he's needed to do you know, on and off the field, put himself in an incredible position and has continued to, to really swing the bat in Appleton. So um, it's, he's a fun guy to watch. Obviously, it goes without saying with the numbers he's putting up. But, you know, he does things very easily. And it's, you know, you, you keep checking your roster to see, hey, this kid's 18 years old. You know, it's, 
it gets crazy after a while to to think where think back to where most people are at 18 years old and this kid's you know kind of dominating the the A ball and then high A levels at that age. So it's really you know tremendous you know tremendous accomplishment. Obviously he's got a long ways to go, but he's he's putting himself in some some rarefied air here. Yeah, I was rushing to try to take my ACT before getting out of high school and he's hitting <laughs> 450 foot bombs at a yeah. level like a lot of collegiate players are lucky to reach <laughs> so uh yeah is there a tool that really stands out for him or is he more of one of those rare five tool guys where he does a little bit of everything well or really well he he does really do everything well however i think the bat is the thing that everybody is most you know enamored with just um not only the power i mean exit velocities are really high on on jackson but um, his approach, he does use all fields, which is impressive for a youngster. And then also um, his ability, it seems like he has a knack with two strikes. He doesn't get rattled. He's not afraid to hit with two strikes, which, again, is, is something that I think you know, hitters obviously don't like to get to two strikes. You know, And he's, he has an approach that with two strikes, he's, he's not letting down on, on his swing, but he's not afraid to go to the other, you know, the other field and, and drive a ball with two strikes. So he, that's, that's probably the thing that I think based on what our staff's feedback has been, that's probably been the most impressive trait that he's shown. Flaney, you've been doing this a long time. Who would you compare him to that you've seen come through the Brewers organization in the past? That's a tough one. I've been thinking a lot about that, obviously, as he's he's been coming along. And, and a combination of you know playing in the middle of the field, you know, center fielder, true center fielder with that kind of bat, at that age, we really don't have one. I know on the offensive side, obviously, Ryan Braun was – probably the most impressive hitter coming through along with Prince Fielder maybe, but both guys at that time were on the dirt and didn't, you know, have the, have the center field, you know, tool package, so to speak. But, but again, it just in terms of all around, you know, a little bit of speed, you know, running balls in gaps and, and driving the ball at that age, I think he's, he's kind of separated himself into a guy that, that I haven't really seen, seen with us to, to this level. With him being so young, how do you make the decision to call him up versus like letting a guy just play and be successful? Like, what goes into those conversations? Yeah, those those are always tough ones. I think um, we never, even when we move a player, it's a number of people involved. You know, in the front office, the staff, everybody has you know an opinion that's that's kind of put into the mix. And I think even when the decision is ultimately made, I don't think anybody feels. Like 100% confident, just because each league is different. You know, the off the field challenges are different. You know, from one place to the next. And in in Jackson's case, I think being such a young player, when he left spring training, a number of people weighed in in terms of how he was going to handle not being on the complex. So when he signs, he's at our Dominican facility, uh, our Dominican Republic facility. So he's got a dorm right there. He's got three meals and a snack per day you know everything's kind of taken care of he's getting English classes you know when he's not on the field so it's it's really a great environment for those guys but everything's kind of protected and the guys are secure there but then when he comes to Phoenix you know it's much more freedom but he's still he's in our team housing we have meals at the complex transportation but then when he gets to a a full season club like he did with the Mudcats now he's living in an apartment with teammates he's got to figure out a way to the ballpark and again we we help those guys out with with different things to, to make it a little bit easier. But at the same time, it's a, it's for an 18 year old kid. It's, it's like going away to college probably as a year young or something. And I think those aspects with a player of Jackson's age, I think 
come more to the forefront when making the decision. I think everybody was pretty confident he could handle the baseball, which says a lot about him, but just making sure it wasn't going to be too much off the field. So we tried to make sure um, some guardrails were in place where he could make sure you know, he was eating right, he was still you know, putting in the work on English classes. We do have that at our affiliates. And I think that checking those boxes went a long way to, to knowing, like, hey, he can relax when he gets to the park, so to speak. Obviously, he works hard and all that, but that's his comfort zone. So if we can make sure he's comfortable off the field, he doesn't have these worries in his mind. Hey, I'm, how am I getting to the park? Where am I going to eat? How can I order? You know, his English is still a work in progress, and he's made strides. But at, you know, 18 years old, just new to the states, it's going to take a little time, and and he's he's working on that end of things. But I think it's a number of factors that go into it. But in his case, rare, you know, which is the exception, the baseball was probably the less um, important variable. We thought he could handle that just by the way he was, you know, handling the. The pitching he was facing in Arizona and before back in the DSL. So I think to the extent he's handled it, he's probably wowed us a little bit. But at the same time, I think he's he's done the work to, to put himself in a really good spot. I think a lot of people forget that too, Flanning, when it comes to these guys are uprooted, they go to another country and it's, you know, you have to learn how to do everything, whether it's wash dishes, do the laundry, sign a lease. I mean, I think a lot of times that gets overlooked in uh and especially the Dominican players, Venezuela and Puerto Rico, a lot of these guys are, are at the disadvantage because they don't know uh, how to communicate and how that works. So anyway, thanks for bringing that to the forefront. I, I guess I've seen it so much, so I'm kind of used to it. But I bet our listeners, um, that's probably an eye opening uh, thing for them to hear. Let me ask you this. Uh, you were on the phone before you came in to, do, to be on the podcast um, if you don't mind, who who do you talk to the most on a daily basis for your job at the Brewers? Wow, I was that's a tough one. I think I think it varies, you know, on the subject matter, but it's the phone is definitely involved. And then when I when I'm in the office, like I, I've been this week, you know, it's popping in, you know, Carl Muller's office, you know, kind of oversees a, a lot of different areas and player development being one of them. So he's he's probably one I talk to quite a bit. Eduardo Brizuela integral feature in terms of our player development system you know he's he's quite active on you know texting calls etc um, our roving instructors that's who that conveniently was just before charlie green your old mentor <laughs> in a way but uh, uh, yeah so so the rovers are, are constantly going from team to team so they're supplying information or just questions on things they see at a, at a club or you know an operational aspect that want to make sure we're out front of so it really varies but it's it's probably thankfully our staff the most you know players occasionally have questions when i'm at a club when i make the rounds guys will you know approach me there or i'll approach them that type of thing but um for the most part it's it's productive conversation so it's it's you know getting to where we want to be and and it's a tremendously large department so i think we always say communication is the key to most things but in our world it's especially important just so we're all on the same page pulling in the same direction you know messaging things correctly to both staff and players for that matter so a lot of people do a ton of uh, different things here you know moving the moving the ball down the field so to speak so we talked about churio and he's stealing a lot of attention from the farm and that's allowed sal freelich to quietly just rocket through the system I mean, he's played at three levels this season already and had great success at all of them, including currently tearing the cover off the ball at AAA. What's behind Sal's success and speedy rise through the farm? 
Yeah, Sal is is a, starts with a kind of person. He's a great kid, number one. I mean, he's been left a really good impact, you know, in a, in a relatively short period of time on everybody that's he's come in contact with us. You know, really positive guy, extremely hardworking, checks all those boxes. You know, probably just the way the way type of guy he is. So starts there but then when he gets on the field he just wants to win it's apparent you know we got a number of players we're fortunate our scouts do a good job of kind of identifying these winning type players and there's a number of them at AAA and Sal being you know as good as anybody in terms of a great competitor and just that will to win and get better so you know that it's a little bit cliched sounding but it allows him I think to put in the work that's needed you know, to try and reach that potential. And, and being a high pick, you know, that's that's in the past now for him. He's trying to be, you know, a quality big leaguer. So he's well on his way. But he's he's really at each at each stop seemingly getting a little bit better, um, maybe more comfortable in pro ball or maybe just showing us, you know, the kind of player he really is. But he's he's really, uh, like you said, he's, he's burst on the AAA scene. I think he had three hits his first game, I believe. So just hasn't looked back since he got there. Yeah, and that was one where I remember going down to, uh, you know, minor league camp in Arizona, and you'd be talking, and suddenly you'd hear this bat sound while everyone's taking BP, and then you go and look, and it was always Sal. Like, everything just sounded different when he was doing it, and, like, I, I know there's only so much you can really take away from BP, but I, I just have talked to a lot of people about that, how just him being there and the sound of his contact. And then too, like you'd go over, you talk to him. He was just a joy to be around. Like you said, it really yeah. stood out for him. Yeah. He's a, he's definitely got the leadership qualities. And, and like I said, when we heard about him from our scouts, they, they talked about that first and it was really apparent when our staff got around him, the type of guy he was and, you know, high character guy. And, and when you see the ability and, and all that, it just, you know, the rest kind of takes care of itself. Yeah, I think when you're talking about a competitor, you, you know, you can you can have all the stats you want, but you need eyes. You need baseball guys that sit there and can see these players and say, listen, he has something extra. And, of course, everybody does want to win, but I think what you're alluding to is that rare player that will just find whatever advantage they can to try to, whether it's take the extra base or get an out or whatever it looks like, um, because that is, that's kind of a, that's kind of a character trait. That's something you don't ever lose. And a lot of guys, I will say this in the minor leagues coming up, if they don't have it, they think suddenly they're going to get to the big leagues and flip that switch. But oftentimes that's not the case, right? Exactly. Yeah. They got to, they got to put in the work and, and, you know, when it, it's continually going to get tougher until they get to the big leagues and then it just maintain you're at the big league level, of course. But I think, you know, they can, some guys will get by on talent to a certain point, you know, they just can out, you know, muscle guys, speed, what have you. But, you know, he seems like, you know, he's got that hockey player background where it's it's almost that internal toughness where, you know, he's going to do what he needs to do, scratch and claw. And, and, you know, he's got the ability. It's not like he's a, it's not that he lacks tools in any manner. I don't mean to say that, but when you have the tool package and then you mix in that effort and, and you know, intensity along with it, I think that, you know, then you're really talking about something that could be pretty special. I believe he could be the first pick from the 2021 draft to debut, depending on the timeline. Is that something your team like takes a lot of pride in? Like, how do the, how do the guys in the office feel when something like that happens? I'm kind of myself. I'm kind of averse to timelines always, just because you don't want to put you know an injury might happen, things of that nature. So right, but 
that being said, I think stepping back for a minute and just looking at it, it is something that I think you know it, it is impressive. I think it speaks to the player more than our staff. Not to knock the work our staff's doing, but but just in terms of a guy that you know basically signed last summer late, you know later draft for the first time and comes out to play in the 2021 season and he's you know you were talking a year later about you know really handling the triple a level and maybe in line for seeing the big leagues not too distant future so i think it is something that that deep down i think guys take a little pride in but again we realize you know the scouts did did the job identifying and making the pick and and getting them onto the field for us so very appreciative uh, player development staff for when you get guys like that tom i i've known you a long time let me ask you this you're not a small dude. You're a big guy. Um, so I'm guessing growing up, you played something other than maybe chess. Uh, <laughs> so you bring probably some sort of sports background to what you're doing, right? I, d- I did. played a lot of sports growing up. Never skilled enough to get much past college. I was a, I was a bas- basketball first, probably. And then I pitched and, and played a position of baseball, but it was probably more pitcher than, than hitter. Didn't have the hit tool, I guess. But but yeah, I just uh, enjoyed it. Always love the competition aspect of it, and um, almost like the change of seasons, it was it was time to change sports. Never, never got into football. Didn't have the didn't have the the speed probably or the uh, the extra toughness to play. But uh, and then golf, of course, golf was like the the respite between basketball and baseball. We had the summer baseball back then. Yeah, so. I would have played football. I would have played football, but I didn't have a I didn't have a permission slip. <laughs> <laughs> and there I wasn't very tough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Take note, kids. We just talked about a high-level member of baseball ops in the Brewers organization and a rising member of the AAA team. What did they both have in common? They played multiple sports. Play multiple sports, kids. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Sal's stealing all the attention by hitting like 400 at AAA, but he's part of a new-look outfield at AAA. Can you talk, give us a little bit quickly on uh, the other three members of the outfield? Because you move up with Mitchell and Weimer at the same time with Sal, and then you get Ruiz in the hater trade. Can you just give us little nuggets on each of them? Sure, absolutely. Um, first off, the newest newest brewer, I guess, uh, Asturi Ruiz, came over uh, from the Padres. Um, had really had a breakout year, I think, just prior to us acquiring this year. He's kind of moved up some lists in terms of industry buzz and so forth, but very toolsy player, can play all three outfield positions, actually has history on the infield, played a, played a lot of second base and a little bit of short, I believe. So, But now he's more probably more seen as an outfield that can play all three. He'll, he'll see time at each in, in Nashville, which it's a, it's a great problem to have, but uh, our staff down there is kind of rotating the guys through center field, you know, giving them each some time there, and um, they're all capable of, of playing the playing all three, so it's a great situation for versatility like we need in the big league. So um, Ruiz is, is a guy we're just getting to know. Obviously, we, we really liked him from afar. You know, that's why they made the trade. But but he's a guy that, as a player development staff, still getting to know a little bit, but very impressive uh, tool package, which uh, leads nicely into the other two guys. Garrett Mitchell, as toolsy as anybody, incredible speed. I still, you know, I watch for – as odd as it is, but when he'll hit a routine ground ball, the, the cases he does, it's amazing how many times he'll beat it out, and our staff will look right to the uh, to the visiting dugout just to get some some eye rolls out of those guys because they can't believe what happened. They're looking at their watch, and 
and it's it's crazy how much that happens with his speed because he doesn't get cheated running down the line and and it's it's really impressive you see a bigger athletic looking guy but he can really move move down the line so Garrett's you know got to get that speed power combo that we like um, as well as Joey Weimer the, the next guy I'll talk about another you know kind of tooled up guy that probably has if not the best arm you know one of the best arms in baseball certainly probably the strongest arm in our system and um swings a bat well, steals bases. So it's really a, it's a, it's a great issue to have. Uh, the manager, Rick Sweet down there, does a good job rotating the guys through, like I mentioned. But, but it's, a, it's one of those where he's got to give a guy a day off. He hates to do it, but we have him playing pretty much five, five games a week with one off. And uh, um, it's, a, it's a great luxury when you can roll those three of those four guys out in the field every day. They're all on the cusp of making the major leagues. Uh, Ruiz is, you know, probably the closest being on the 40 man, having some major league time. But let's talk about a perfect world where all four of them make it. How do you see like an outfield shaking up with the four of them? Like, where do you think their positions would be in that scenario? I, th- I think it probably, I mean, it's, first off, it would be great. If all, if all of them would break through, you know, similar time frame, it would be a great, you know, quote unquote problem to have. But I think you're, you're fortunate because they're all versatile. They can all play different spots. We obviously have the DH now, so that offers another slot to guys be able to keep their bat in the lineup. But you got a you got a good balance there. You got two left-handed bats in Mitchell and and Freelick, and then you got the two right-handers in Ruiz and Weimer. So, I mean, you, you do have matchup advantages. You can you could theoretically play all of them in center. Mitchell and Freelick may have a little edge right now in center over the other two guys, but. Ruiz could be right there. We're just not as familiar with him out there yet. But, but no, I think it's uh, the the matchup possibilities would be great for Craig and and certainly adding those kinds of bats. You know, at, in in the near future, hopefully, is a good uh, injection of offense into the into the big leagues. Tom, let me ask you this: What is your favorite part of what you do? You're over the entire minor leagues. You get to see these guys from you know when they come over and they go through the levels. What's the most rewarding part that you get uh, out of all of this, seeing these guys grow? I think it's it's the, as you touched on a little bit there, I think it's seeing them enter the system, you know, from the day they sign to ultimately, you know, reaching the, you know, for the for the, the biggest success stories of guys that make the big leagues. And it's not always the the first rounders that make it. Obviously, you're, you're happy for all of their success, but sometimes it's the player that's, you know, maybe selected a little bit later in the draft, kind of has that scratch claw mentality and may only play in the big leagues briefly, may get up there for, you know, a short time. Um, But those are probably the most rewarding just because you know that obviously it always starts with the player. The player, you know, the works works the hardest, kind of controls their their future. But, you know, for the for the later round guys or, or the lower picks, passed over guys, we've had success with several of those. The guys that you feel the staff has impacted that much more from maybe an on-field you know, teaching component, certainly there's that, but then also the mental grind where this player may not even been selected in a draft. Like Nate Orff is a guy that jumps jumps to mind. You know, Nobody was happier than our staff when Nate Orff made the big leagues. It was one of those special moments where you got this guy that he certainly had some talent, had some injuries in college, You know, was ended up not being selected. We signed him after, and... You know, he grinded his way to the big leagues and, you know, did things the right way along the way. He didn't need actually a lot of uh, mental coaching from us to, to keep him on track. He was, he was going to 
figure out a way. So guys like that, I think, are probably the most rewarding. But again, it's when you see the success guys are having. You know, our staff is you know their number one fan. So we try and um, take a moment to, to appreciate how hard they've worked and and see that kind of fruit at the end of the at the end of the road for them. Is there one of those guys in the system right now that Brewers fans should be thinking about? One of those guys who is really becoming a success story despite being looked over? Yeah. Well, one that's maybe a little late on my answer here, but Peter Strzelecki would be the guy in the big leagues. That's kind of like that, where he's a after the draft sign, you know, signed for you know small bonus, and at different points in the minor leagues, really his, his surface numbers really didn't jump out to anybody. But internally, we had a lot of guys in our office that that saw some things in him and just said, "Hey, keep an eye on this pitch. He, you know, this is this looks good. His, you know, we call them ingredients a lot. Where hey, he's got the ingredients that this is what you know big league stuff looks like, and you know his stuff seemed to get better and better later, maybe age wise than than other players. That's why I, we don't like to put timelines on him because some guys, you know." Excuse me, our late bloomers, late late developers. Peter certainly fit in that category, but now you get a, you know, a guy that's you know impacting the big league big league team here down the stretch. So, I think he's one that jumps out. There's a number of them throughout the system that could probably also mention, but I think the the key to all those guys is their ears are open, they're listening, they're not you know they're listening to the right people so that they can, you know, stay on the correct path and and kind of harness what what they have and get to know what they need to do to get to that that next rung as opposed to you know chasing the quick fix or trying to you know seek out something that's maybe going to lead them you know off track to where they want to be that's good yeah I, I don't have any other questions other than I just want to say Thank you, Tom, for picking me up at an independent ball back in 2013 and 14. I don't know if you remember this. This is a highlight of my career. Um, But I will say this. Almost Groundhog Day, it was the exact same day. The next year, I got a call um, playing in Pennsylvania. I'm living in a basement, and suddenly you're like, hey, I want you to come back to the Brewers family. So anyway, that happened twice in a row. I think that was – Absolutely. (laughs) That was impressive, and I know I – I have thanked you before, but I'm going to thank you again because um, the Brewers do a good job about keeping people in-house and being a part of this organization. I'm I'm now on my, I don't know, 18th season where I'm kind of tied or tethered to the Brewers. Wow. And you're on your, what, like 30, is, uh, third? 33rd? 33rd, I think. 33rd, yeah. yeah. Crazy. That's impressive. Yeah. So anyway, thank you for that, for letting me be a part of this family. Oh, no problem. You did a, uh, did a great job. I, I, I know we joked about it all the time, but I remember at the winter <laughs> meetings, bumping in on that bridge in Nashville, talking yeah. to, or in, indoor bridge, not to paint any bad pictures, but in that little uh, <laughs> opera land uh, yeah, lobby. Yeah. But, uh, but no, you were, you were great, and, and you had some great experiences up in Colorado Springs and, and then later in Nash- or Nashville, I guess, first. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was awesome. There's one guy who hasn't been getting a ton of attention, but definitely deserves it, who I want to touch on real quick before we uh, finish up with you. And it's Bryce Terang. Uh, I mean, he's had one of the best seasons of his career right now in AAA, putting together a really nice season, showing more power, which I know has been a lot of what like the national pundits have said is important to him, and also trying out new positions. How's that been going for him? It's been going really well, and he, I'm glad you brought him up because Bryce is probably he's not underrated internally. Like our our staff just raves about him, and constantly is putting bugs in people's ears about, hey, this guy's really a, you know he's continuing to get better. But the reason I I think you're right on saying he's kind of 
under the radar is, you know, Sal Freelick came out of the draft last year, and he's he's 22 years old. Bryce seems like he's been around forever. He's he's like four months older than than Sal only. So he's he's 22 years old. You know, repeating AAA and kind of checking all the boxes in his own right. So he showed that he can handle the shortstop position, be a plus defender there. So I think it's time now where just to improve his chances of breaking through, impacting the big league team, he'll start seeing some time at other positions, maybe a little bit of second, a little bit of third, and it's we still visualize him being a big league shortstop. However, you know, having those that experience at other positions down the stretch here, it's it's post trade deadline. It's not like we can go out and acquire anyone externally now. So if something were to happen, it keeps um, both Bryce and the team in a great spot where you know he's got some experience playing those other spots and. You know, he as well as he plays at short. You know, he he takes ground balls often at second, and and he'll dabble a little bit at third as well. So I don't think it'll be much of a stretch with his defensive ability. But but Bryce has been a guy that I think every year he's always that next guy. I remember out of the draft, some of the the comments people made about how ah, he was supposed to go in the top five, but he didn't have a great senior year. But he was pretty good his junior year, so I don't know that he had to have a big leap. So I think from day one, he's kind of always been a little bit under the radar externally for whatever reason, but internally our guys, our AAA staff, our Rovers, front office, everybody realizes the progress that he continues to make. And I know I touched on the competitive nature of Sal before. I think Bryce is another guy that every manager that's had him and everybody that's been around him kind of labels him. He's a winning player. He's you know Teams that he's on are winning type teams, and he he just does that. He's got leadership qualities. He's got the you know the tool package, the speed, the more power than I think he's shown so far. I think there's more more to come with Bryce. So <clears throat> I think he'll be a, a good one and not the too distant future here. It he, that poor guy, like you said, like he comes out of the draft and people are like, oh, he didn't have the best senior season. It feels like he's been dealing with prospect exhaustion <laughs> his entire career. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. The prospect fatigue got him early but I don't know it's 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 certainly not uh, fatiguing internally our guys our guys love Bryce and he continues to continues to improve so we're excited for for what's to come there now we don't have much time left but I really wanted to make sure we got your take on the, the two top guys going this year because Eric Brown has made quite the impression in a very small period that seems to be the theme of this conversation right guys just having lightning starts uh but eric brown jr having a great debut to his pro career so far and jacob mizorowski seems to just be getting more and more hype after the draft so can you talk a little bit about those guys as well sure eric's eric's really like you mentioned he couldn't have gotten off to a hotter start he went to phoenix uh after signing uh short little ramp up period to get make sure he was you know excuse me, 100% healthy, ready to go, and, and he hit the ground running in Arizona, and once he got to Carolina, really didn't miss a beat. He's he's swinging the bat really well. He's playing good defensively. <clears throat> so really impressive because when you think back, you have the long college season, you have a layoff awaiting the draft, and then he's kind of got to go through all the hoopla around the draft and the signing, and, hey, there's still baseball to play maybe for another month, month and a half. And to his credit, he hasn't he has not had a lull, so – I'm sure fatigue will kick in at some point here with him, but he's not showing any signs to this point of being being tired or anything along those lines. And then uh, Jacob Mizorowski, as you mentioned, we haven't seen him in games yet. We're probably going to ramp him up. Is he again with the layoff? It's different for pitchers when guys you know shut it down after their college season. He threw a little bit around the combine. I think we got to make sure that 
all these guys are ready to go. So each pitcher we 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 take, our, our staff does a nice job getting with our scouts, kind of assessing where they're at, uh, how they're long their layoffs been, how many innings they've thrown, how they're feeling. Obviously, is important, and we take it slowly with them. Some are further ahead than others in terms of not putting down the baseball as much. So. I think Mizorowski's a guy that we're going to try and target more toward instructional league where we can get him on the mound, face hitters at that time versus <clears throat> rushing him back to uh, to get him out there too soon. But he, but as you mentioned, it's been a lot of, you know, I hear a lot of the, the feedback from other, other clubs or, or just anecdotally since the draft, and it's it's a guy that it's been all positive all the time and just, you know, stuff you hear about, you know, pitch types and, and movement that he generates, velocity that you know, our guys are extremely excited to see it. I don't know if our hitters will be excited to see it in the live BPs, but <laughs> but we'll see. We'll we'll get him out there soon enough and uh, get him ready to roll. And definitely going to be a fun guy to uh, fun guy to watch. All right, there. There's one last thing I wanted to pick your mind about, and it's you know I know uh, the midseason top 30s and top 100s are coming out. How much stock does an organization put into those and without giving anything away about like the internal evaluation process, how does something like the pipeline top 30 compare to the brewers top 30? That's a good question. I think number one, I think it's incredibly difficult to make those rankings. So I wouldn't <laughs> want to have any part in, you know, putting out my top 100 on the industry, much less top 10 or 30 on the organization. But I think it's really, you know, it's a difficult challenge because you're not going to have access to the same info on all these guys externally and that we are internally and vice versa. But, and, and I think there's also a misconception sometimes even from our players, which we try to educate them on. These lists are just external noise, so to speak, where it's not the Milwaukee Brewers publishing them. It's more, you know, industry sources or external people that, that put them out. And, and it is a challenge to make. So try not to you know, to look too strongly at them. It's just more for entertainment purposes, I guess. But I think it, I think our list would probably look a little bit differently. However, again, it's it's one of those challenges where when you stack it up, just hearing me talk about players like, hey, how would you rank a Freelick versus a Terang? It's like I don't even want to choose. I want them both. Like, thank God we we have them both. But yeah. <laughs> but again, I think the list will vary. I think even even selfishly if i were to do a list i think if i did it today and then did another one on friday i'd probably have a tough time keeping the list consistent i'd you know move guys around so it's it's extremely difficult i'm sure to to put together but i'm i'm sure our list would look a lot different than the industry list but again no no knock on the industry i think it's a it's tremendously tough uh tough task all right. Well, Tom, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, I'm a huge prospect nerd, so this scratched a big itch for me. <laughs> and we'll we'll look forward to, I mean, these guys are either going, a lot of the guys we talked about are have a chance to make an impact on the team this year. And it sounds like definitely make an impact next year. So we're excited to see them. Sounds good. Appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. Thanks, Flanny. Yeah. Thanks so much to Tom for coming on. We really appreciate it. We need to take a quick break, but when we return, we're talking about this weekend in St. Louis, the new look bullpen, and talking about the Dodger series. Stay tuned.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tuned. We're back. I know you missed us, but we're here. No need to worry. And we're here to talk about a pretty tough week in Brewers baseball, let's be honest. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing at that. Just the way you said it was amusing. You know, uh, hey, hey, they had a really good series against Tampa. Yeah. So uh, I know we're all the optimists, but, you know... Adam, what are your takeaways from a tough series loss to the Cardinals? The margins for the Brewers right now are tiny. And that's not just the Cardinals series, the Rays series too. Um, you know, they, they, they had a comeback to get that little two-game sweep. And they just, the offense right now is not producing. I can't figure out the offense. Um, Tim is much smarter at baseball than me and can tell me what this offense is. Um, because when you just sort of look at their numbers offensively, it's fine. And if you think, okay, this is a team built on really good pitching uh, and has a fine offense, that should be a, a team that you know does well. You can win that way, uh, especially in an era where offense is like suppressed. So if the Brewers are the Brewers are in the top half of many offensive numbers, and there's this idea that they're a terrible offense and that's way oversimplification. I'm having a really hard time figuring it out, but there, there, it is true. There are too many games where they don't score enough runs, which is another oversimplification, but they just have these kind of outages and then they'll score in bunches for three, four days to even out the numbers. And I don't know how to fix that or, or even to know how to think about it, but it, but it's, a problem right now, I would say, and it's putting a lot of pressure on the pitching staff, and it's the reason that they're losing um, some games right now. Yeah, Tim, I guess watching that series, kind of what are your feelings about, because I, I think Adam nailed it on the head, is the margin for error is small, right? It feels like, yeah, this offense can get you a lead, but then you almost need to pitch to perfection and bumps in the road are really problematic. Although sometimes the offense comes out and puts up nine runs, <laughs> but you know, especially against the Cardinal series, it felt like, you know, you'd get those two to three runs and if the bullpen could be perfect, you were set to go. So what's your takeaway from that series? Well, I think you're right. I, I think Adam is completely correct. It's just very thin margins. If they give up a run, it means everything. If they don't score a run, it means everything. That's a tough place to pitch in. Um, bullpen or starter, and that's a tough place to hit, right? You go up there and you're going, man, everything's relying on this at bat because we have very little room for mistake. Um, and that's kind of the way the Brewers have been playing right now. I will say this, though, about the offense. It looks like they are trying to pull everything. And they just try to pull everything. Lefties, they try to pull everything. Doesn't matter if it's lefty or righty, but um, as far as the hitter, I thought Yelich did a great job yesterday. He worked the count, got two walks, the only two walks the Brewers had. Um, you look at uh, Telez, who rarely plays against lefty starters now, 
he got two hits, right? So they kind of were the ones bringing something to Urias uh, for the Dodgers on the mound. But as a collective whole, the right-handed hitters are trying to pull the ball. They're having success going opposite field, um, but they're just trying to pull everything. And that's a a pitcher's uh, just delight. I would love it to know that everybody's trying to pull the ball. That's great. Here, you want to pull it? Here it is. All you got to do is make a pitch and you're out. Um, And I will say this about the Cardinals series, right? Lauer quality start. Corbin Burns quality start, Aaron Ashby quality start. And that was the biggest one for me because Ashby in a big situation, what are you going to get out of him? And I thought he delivered against the Cardinals. Great lineup. And he went through it. He looked confident. His stuff was good. And even a side note to that note, Feliciano behind the dish, right? First time in the big leagues catching in a game, uh, catches a quality start against a quality team. I thought that was pretty amazing. And their combined battery age was 47 years old. The night before that, it was Wainwright and Molina. Their combined battery age is 80. So you can sit there and see, like, this is two young players that went out there and did something pretty amazing. So that was another. And then a side note to all those takeaways, <laughs> I thought the defense played well. Uh, I thought, yeah, which has I, been a problem. I think it has been. And Wong looks fantastic right now. Like, I yeah. think he was very timid early on. Uh, but since kind of the all-star break, he is back to where you almost have to, you know, blink your eyes a couple times to see if you saw that correctly. His gloves been outstanding. His throws are on point. Um, and I think they need that. One, can I add one more thing? No, because as is per <laughs> tradition, <laughs> as is per tradition, Tim talked about how good the defense looked. Mm. So when there's 14 <laughs> errors tonight, send them to at Dim Tillard <laughs> because hey, finally Tim's man, do, mine. do we I'm, seem to have the like everything we? I'm surprised we don't get more, more mean looks when we're in the dugout because like everything we say seems to like immediately turn to the opposite. Yeah, because everyone in that dugout's listening to this podcast. Come on, bro. <laughs> they Come they on. talk to they me don't about know how it they're exists. listening to the podcast. They don't know it exists. <laughs> Ozzy Timmons is like, hey, Willie, are you going to hit today? And Willie goes, no, nah, I got to listen to the podcast. Yeah, be right out. <laughs> got to listen. They they come up to me and they say, hey, great pod. Can you mention that I'm better, please? <laughs> <laughs> Can you do that? All right, Adam, what was the point you wanted to add? Well, the point I was going to add was, if we're talking about this Cardinal series, it still strikes me, and this struck me going into this series and the same coming out, is just how sort of even these teams are when they play each other. And like just looking at the numbers head to head, Brewers against the Cardinals, 224, 290, 389 slash. Cardinals, 219, 282, 377. You know, the hits are like 110 to 107 in favor of the Brewers. Homers, 19 to 18 in favor of the Cardinals. Like every stat, they're they're very evenly matched. And this is notable, I think, because it looks to me like the Brewers, you know, trying to make a fifth straight postseason. It it to me, it's more likely that it comes down to Brewers against Cardinals than it does this the wild card field. I don't know that I see. I think the teams in the wild card field, uh, Padres have their issues, obviously, but they look like teams sort of on more of an upward trajectory. And the Brewers are trying to hang on. I think right now, and to the the head to head with the Cardinals is going to be huge. We talked about this, but I'll just reinforce it again. There's no more game 163 for anyone who hasn't heard that. It goes on head-to-head record if the teams finish with the same record, which seems like a possibility based on how even they are. And the Cardinals own that right now, 8-7 with four to play. And just because these games are so tight, 
I just am noting that because the two games left in Milwaukee between the teams and two in St. Louis are going to be really big. All right. Uh, we're going Thank to move you. on, but I, I want to point something out real quick. And I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit. As Adam had all those stats, right, about how even they are. And, you know, pulling back the curtain, Tim asked to start the podcast, hey, does anyone have a stat of the week I could borrow? And Adam just <laughs> hogged that for himself. Didn't even use it for stat of the week. Wow. Wow, here his friend needed help, and he's like, no, I have this great stat, and it is in my pocket. I'm going to use it. Your Remember how we used to get all stressed about the trivia? Now we haven't done the trivia for a couple oh, of weeks. Yeah. Now it's just stat trivia. of the week that I <laughs> Brad, your stat of the week was your computer blown up four times. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, yep. you just took his, too. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, sorry, the camaraderie is at an all-time low right now. <laughs> all right, guys. There, there were goods and there were bads to take away from the St. Louis series. One big good, I think, after his first two appearances, Matt Bush has looked nasty. Tim, what do you like? How impressed have you been with him so far? He's good. His stuff plays. It just does. Uh, lefties and righties, they bat about the same against him. His fastball, curveball, it's the four seam. Um, curveball 12-6 coming off of that. And that's a similar spin. Uh, when you throw a four seam and it goes, you know, it comes back towards you in that spin, you throw a curveball the opposite way. So it's hard for hitters to pick that up. Kind of reminds you of a John Axford when it comes to stuff, maybe not body type. Uh, <laughs> but that's what it is. It's, it's John Axford. That's how the stuff plays. And one thing that he brings to it is he is super quick to the plate and it's effortless. This guy is like holds his spot and then just immediately starts going to the plate. There's no leg kick a lot of times, especially with a man on base. And it's very surprising because a hitter's waiting for you to do all this huge, you know, get center of energy to come out to throw 99, right? Nolan Ryan, you got to kick the arms and the leg back and make, you know, generate some sort of energy to get it to the plate. And Matt Bush doesn't even have to do that. He looks like he takes a step, moves his arm and throws 99 by a guy. Uh, that right there is super sneaky. Adam, have you enjoyed watching Matt Bush? Uh, I have. I think the Matt Bush story is really interesting. He has atoned for uh, past sins and tried to be a better person and a better player. And I think one of the results of his story is that he doesn't have the mileage on his arm that a, a typical 36-year-old would be, both because he didn't pitch and, and because he was away from baseball for a better part of five years. So... When you look at the numbers and you think about, you know, the, the, there's two years remaining, if I'm not mistaken, on his contractual control. And you think at 36, well, that's not going to be part of the picture, but maybe it will be if, if he continues to throw the ball like this. Um, the 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 sub, baseball savant can be helpful in looking at rel relievers are so hard to figure out statistically. But the savant stuff I like, you know, it's you can see how he does it. Fastball spin, 98th percentile. It's a super high spin fastball that has that kind of rising effect on hitters. Uh, expected batting average, 95 percentile, 95th. Expected slugging, 98th. Barrel percentage, 98th, meaning he doesn't allow a lot of barrels. Um, and 89th percentile in strikeout rate. So it's just, it's, it's good reliever stuff. He goes out there, airs it out. And man, talk about needed because Taylor Rogers has been still trying to get his feet under him as a brewer. <laughs> That's my euphemistic way of putting it. Um, he's had some rough ones. So Matt Bush has been really solid. And David Stearns told us this could happen. He told us um, when they got Matt Bush, he thought when the trade, when the dust settles from the trade deadline and you look around baseball, 
Matt Bush might have the nastiest stuff that was traded. And now after seeing him for a couple outings, you kind of see what David Stearns was talking about. You would touch on Trevor Rogers. Are you concerned at all about, really he's had, what, two good appearances and two bad appearances for the Brewers. Does that, and considering his recent, the recent performance coming onto the team, are you concerned about what he can provide this team? Well, I would say health is the concern because of that knee issue that we didn't know about when he came in. And he said he really wanted to keep it quiet because he didn't want it to be viewed as him making an excuse for the last uh, couple of months with the Padres, which were not very good. So I think because it's been a sustained period of struggle relative to what he was, which was really one of the best relievers in baseball, um, I would say, yeah, there is some concern because we just don't know how we don't know what part of this is health. And what part of this is bad habits uh, that have been created by that? And, and those are tough to shake. Yeah, Tim, I guess from a pitching perspective, how easy is it when you're, I mean, we know that pitching lower half is so important. So how easy is it when you're dealing with pain constantly to kind of get out of your own rhythm and get out of your own mechanics? Well, you get a bad wheel, you know, it kind of affects everything when you're trying to drive and, I think I saw it early on. I I remember after the trade deadline and he came in and it just looked like he was standing straighter up. If that's a thing, like he wasn't as leaned over and as athletic looking. I think his mechanics changed from when we saw him probably in early June. Um, He threw three out of four days, I think, against the Brewers. Um, And his his velocity was 95, I think, touching 96. And I think now we're seeing 90, 92, 94. Um, is kind of where he's sitting, and that could be a factor of that. But um, his slider's still good. His stuff is still good. Um, does he need to be in the eighth or ninth inning right now? Possibly not. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you you got to get to that spot. But I I think we were spoiled for so long having Boxberger, Williams, and Hader of just we knew exactly who was coming out of the bullpen, and now we don't. And I think it's uneasy for everybody because it's almost like does the dugout know who's coming out of the bullpen and when Probably like we, not. we don't know any of those conversations and it's fits bullpen by committee. Then you're trying to play matchups and good relievers. A lot of times, if you look at uh, Williams, you look at uh Boxberger for the most part, uh, you can look at Matt Bush. These guys have similar splits. They just, they can get lefties out as well as they can get righties out. And I think that's what you're going to have to, you know, trust in that fact. But right now I think, I think righties are getting real good looks on, uh, on Taylor Rogers. I think that it's compounded to the Boxberger situation because he hasn't pitched since as we're sitting here on Tuesday morning, since when last, was it Wednesday against the Rays? Yeah, that's weird. Um, and I asked about that yesterday. Why, you know, we didn't see him in the Cardinal series with all those good right-handed hitters. And Craig council said it was just, they stayed away from him the first day. And then the next two days, he said it was just matchups. <clears throat> I don't, I don't know if, if that makes 100% sense to me, but I think they're giving him a little bit of a rest um, because he's not been as sharp as we've been accustomed to see him. You know, he's that guy to get out of the crazy jam and he's so low, low key and nails and he's not been as good lately. And maybe this little rest period will be good for him. But it also makes what Matt Bush has done even more important because he's become that steady uh, late inning guy ahead of Devin Williams, and they really need it right now with Rogers kind of sputtering a little bit and Boxberger sputtering and maybe getting a break. 
All right, real quick, guys. Including yesterday, the Brewers are in a stretch of 7-10 against the Dodgers. Adam, what are you looking forward to in this matchup against the best team in the NL? Well, I don't know if it's what I'm looking forward to. It. I mean, it strikes me the Dodgers are just, they're, they're a better team. And I think, you know, that's my unfiltered take on it. They're, they're just better. <laughs> well, now, they that, have the, four MVPs on their team. <laughs> yeah, they're quite, they're quite good. And their bullpen is quite good. Uh, their starting pitching is being really tested right now. They lost Walker Bueller yesterday for the rest of the year, and he's been down since June, but just they thought maybe he was going to come back and maybe give them some kind of innings help down the stretch, and now that's not happening. So that's a big blow. Um, but they're a very good team. And I, I the reason I say that is, I, I again, I don't want to go off what social media says, but there's this, like, helplessness. Oh, my God, the Dodgers are so much better than the Brewers. The, the thing about baseball is that you can still win a seven-game series against a team that's better. The better team doesn't always win in baseball. Um, you know, people can disagree with that, but I think that's been proven for many years. Um, that So the Brewers have, are very capable with their pitching of beating any team, including the Dodgers, in a seven-game series. So let's see what happens in this seven-game series. And then, you know, let's over... <laughs> Let's let's draw conclusions maybe bigger than we should and make it bigger than it is since it's regular season. But I'm sure it'll be fun to do that when we're when we're clear of this stretch. All right, Tim, real quick, what are you looking forward to in this series? Um, I mean it's it's gonna it's a good matchup. I mean, there's two exciting teams. I would like to see the Brewers go into this series against the Dodgers of just like, you know what, let's get confidence. If they can put up some wins against this club right here. They can beat anybody in baseball. And I think after the Cardinals series there, it was kind of, you know, kind of the wind out of the sails a little bit coming off of, you know, sweeping the rays. So I think it would be a confidence booster. Hey man, this is the best team in baseball. They got 80 wins right now. Uh, if they can go out there and, and beat this team once, twice, three times a lady, <laughs> uh, I think that, that right there is going to play probably for the rest of the year. I think they're going to jump on that momentum and that confidence of going, hey, guys, by the way, we're a really good club. Uh, but it all starts with putting together good at-bats at the right time because they are getting people on base. We need to take another break, but when we return, we're dishing out stat of the week. Stay tuned. And we're back. Adam, Tim, I know you have been just anxiously awaiting mm. with bated breath yes. this moment. I know, Tim, we talked about how prepared you are for this moment. I went first last week. Adam goes first this week. <laughs> Does that mean you're, are you like cramming for the test? Right I am. Now? That's why I'm not looking I have at you two. guys. I can, I'm willing I'm to, to give you one, Tim, because right, I want right. you to. You can give can your I give Tim one. his stat? No, no, no. Nope. Okay. Nope. Here's just, my stat of the week. your own okay. homework. My stat of the week is two and two thirds, which is how many innings Josh Hader has pitched for the Padres in two weeks since that trade went down. I don't know that I'm saying it means anything. I don't know if this makes people feel better or worse. It's obviously a product of what the Padres, how the Padres games have gone. I just find it, found it very interesting because, you know, you're checking in on, hey, what's Hader doing over there? And the answer is not much. Tim, did you complete your assignment? (laughs) <laughs> not really um but here's what i wrote down it was well oh yeah i gotta give the stat um i'll go second second yeah september 2nd 2021 
was the day the Brewers lost their 53rd game last year. So that just puts it in perspective. They've already lost it. It's, you know, August, whatever. Um, but they're still in the hunt, right? Every year is different. What, what, what was good one year is different the next year. So it doesn't really matter wins and losses. All that's going to matter is if they're at the top of this NL Central. So yeah, September 2nd, though, just to give a, you know, I always like to look at the years past, but mm-hmm. um, at the same time, uh, it, you know, different year, different team. I did that trick in my game story last night, Tim. On, the, on August 15th last year, they were 25 games over 500 and eight games up in the division. Yeah. So th- this year is more like 19. If you remember 2019, they were in third place. On the I, was state with, I was with the Rangers, man. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm talking to Brad. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I remember everything. <laughs> so, my stat of the week is three. The team has three players with over 20 home runs right now. Oh, yeah. And I don't think anyone expected that Willie would be chasing Rowdy for the team home run lead. So, I, it's it's not the most important stat, but I think it's kind of a fun stat to watch this little home run race that Rowdy and... Uh, Willie have because it seems like one hits a home run and then the other one goes wait no I'm hitting a home run too so I just tried to do something a little bit more fun because I think it's very hard for (laughs) like fans are taking every loss so hard right now so let's do something fun and watch the not so amazing home run race especially as Willie tries to become the first brewer shortstop in history to hit 30 home runs well and the 20 home run stat was good because only the Yankees Braves and Brewers have three players with 20 at least Yeah, yeah 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 That was that's, a great that's also your, what that's I meant your to augmentation to your stat of the week. That's also I but I, I got that from Mike Rosalo, so. <laughs> All right. I don't know if everyone's been paying attention, but Sal Freelich got called up about two weeks ago to triple A. And since then he's hitting 391, 482, and 500. Kid is putting up video game numbers. Tim, do you see him being on the big league roster this year? Wow. Um, he started out in A-ball, so he's got an A-ball, double-A, triple-A. He may be one of those rare breeds. I remember Hiram Burgos, I think, did that one year to get to the big leagues. He went A-ball, double-A, triple-A, big leagues. Um, it's a name. it's a rare feat to pull something like that off, and you, I don't know. I, if it was normal year of, you know, back when you could just have anybody you wanted in the clubhouse in September, I would say 100%. Now you have to be very methodical on how it works. Um, so I think chances are, are lower. Um, but his first 10 games in AAA, he had six multi-hit games. And AAA is tough. I, there's a big, big jump between AA and AAA. AAA, you start facing guys that have multiple years in the big leagues. They have big league stuff. Uh, they're using the big league ball now. Um, guys can throw harder with it. It's just, it, it's very much like the big leagues uh, for most of the game. Um, so for him to be putting up a clip like that, that's a good sign. Adam? Well, is Sal Freelich going to be starting at center field next week? I will say I will say that I am more uh, on the Asturi Ruiz train right now for one one really important factor. He's on the 40. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that their 40 man situation is really tight right now. Um, they still have um, some decisions to make and. As you said, um, as Tim said, September is no longer a free-for-all. It's now you get two extra spots and only one of them can be a pitcher. 
assuming you were already at the 13 pitcher limit. In other words, it's 28 uh, active roster in September, max of 14 pitchers. So um, I don't know. I think that the fact that Ruiz has a little taste of the majors, that he's on the 40, puts him probably ahead for me of Freelich. And the other guy I keep um, uh, thinking about is Bryce Terang, who they're further expanding his positional versatility. He got to start at second the other day, first time in a couple of years. Um, He's played center this year, you know, a a bunch. I just think that he is, and he has just much more AAA time. I think uh, Bryce Terang is also for me, on the if I'm putting my likely candidates to come up ahead of uh, Sal right now, so those are my those are my guesses. Which just guarantees Sal will be up in three days. <laughs> I think what we need to understand here is that there's a huge movement happening to let Mario eat. Mario Feliciano, they need to let him eat. Yeah, they don't. They just don't. And right now, seem to want to do that. Are they starving? Right now, he's him? only getting. Are they starving? Right now, him? he's is only he... getting scrap at the tables. Oh, yeah. Let Mario yeah. eat. In talking of eating, Adam, what's the last great meal you had? <laughs> <laughs> we took my mother out for her birthday, my dear mother, Rita McAlvey, to Trey Rivali, the restaurant on the bottom of the Journeyman Hotel. I think people, probably a bunch of our listeners, have gone to the top of the Journeyman Hotel for a cocktail and the best views in the city. But in the bottom, I thought it was an Italian restaurant, but it's not. It's like a Mediterranean restaurant. So there were like some sort of Spanish-influenced stuff. We had this chicken that was incredible, and it was just an awesome experience, and I 1,000% recommend it. Tim, the last great meal you've had. Last great meal. See, I, I, I didn't open up the little thing we're supposed to answer until like right before we started this, so I hadn't had a lot of time. Um, so 2004, I was about 55 pounds heavier than I am now. And I blame that on the McDonald's McGriddle because that's the same oh year the McGriddle God. came out. <laughs> what uh, in the world? So for 2004, most of that year, it was it was the McGriddle, man. Um, I don't think that's I've the had last one great since. meal you had a McGriddle in 2004. I I'm going off just straight feast mode. I was feasting. <laughs> <laughs> I oh inhibitions to the wind, uh, multiple a day. Yeah, the McGriddle year. Um, <laughs> no, I actually the other day I had a scallop from um fourth base. Fourth base right next oh, to yeah. the stadium. Uh, and it mm-hmm. was gifted to me uh by Carmine there, the owner and chef, and it was like the size of my fist and it was delicious. I don't think I've had one that tastes as good. Don't think I've seen one as big. So um yeah, if you get a chance, go by there. They have some really good oh, stuff. Great, great. Have you eaten at fourth base, Brad? No. Oh, it's like oh, it's you have to do it. Amazing. It, there's no menu, or is there a menu? But no prices. They there's just no write, prices. There's no prices. They just write it on the like the chalkboard or that light up. You just board. pay what they think you should pay based yeah. on how nice <laughs> you are to them or something. But guys, uh, phenomenal, guys. You can talk about fourth base all you want, but I want to talk to you about the worst, like the the best, most mouthwatering meal I have ever had. And I'm telling you, when I had it, like it took me. Are you to gonna say an, Wendy's or something? Another you're, you're building. The McGriddle's been taken, guy. <laughs> my mouth watered. I I I danced with joy when I took my first bite. Oh my god! So thanks the rain for the buffalo chicken tenders yesterday. Oh, That's all we have. In the press box dining thank you. room. <laughs> thank you as always for listening. Don't forget to follow our host Tim Dillard at Dim Tillard on Twitter and Instagram. Watch him on the Bally's pre and post game show 
Look for Adam McAlvey at Adam McAlvey on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and read his stuff at Brewers.com. Of course, make sure you're following the Brewers on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We'll see you next week.